today on Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick. This is what she's saying in that language. It's poetic in terms of her love relationship with Solomon, but allegorically, what she's saying, and then I'll translate allegorically, she's saying, Solomon's love is so real, so public, so genuine, that it's as if he's put a standard over me that says, I belong to him and he belongs to me. He's waving the banner, he's waving the flag with the insignia that says, I love this girl. I'm devoted to her. My love is dependable. And she's in response saying, and mine is to him as well. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Song of Solomon. Many of the phrases used in the Song of Solomon may be problematic for some in our modern society. The inferences to ownership and possession of one another may seem archaic and even offensive to some. As Pastor Gary teaches us from this book, he will draw out the deeper meanings of the figures of speech Solomon and his lover use for one another. We will be reminded that God invented marriage and has plans about how it should be lived. We would be wise to keep this fact in mind and glean usable lessons for our own marriages. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, please turn to the book of Solomon, chapters 6 through 8. And let's join Pastor Gary for part 2 of today's message, God's Love. Let me draw your attention here to Song of Solomon, chapter 1, verse 4. In chapter 1, verse 4, she's speaking here. She says, take me away with you, let us hurry. Take me away with you, let us hurry. So allegorically, here's King Solomon. He serves to be a picture of the king, okay, the Lord. And she's saying, take me away. So she's a picture of us, the church. And in New King James, it says, draw me away. ESV says, draw me after you. So that's why I've adopted to use the word draw. His love is a drawing love. It is the Hebrew word meshach, and it means to draw, to lead, to attract. It's the same word, meshach, that is used in Jeremiah 31.3, where God says, I have loved you with an everlasting love. I have drawn you, meshach, I have drawn you with loving kindness. God's love is a drawing love. He draws us to himself. In fact, Jesus even says in John 6, 44, he says, no one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him. Jesus says that we don't even come into relationship with him except that God is first pursuing us with his love and drawing us into that relationship with him. If you know Christ as your Savior, you did not come to that realization because you're just that clever. You and I come to that revelation of who God is and his love for us because God has already been pursuing us and drawing us with his love. We come to the place of surrender, but God is the one who initiates. All throughout the Bible, God's love is presented as the initiator. 
And I'm kind of old school with this too. Women want to pursue guys, I guess, within reason, but I'm just kind of old school where the guy pursues the girl and that's the picture. God in pursuit of us. We are the bride that he is seeking and he is the groom and he goes after us. And all through the Bible, he is presented as the initiator. We are always seen in Scripture as the responders to his love. God never, never in the Bible presents himself as someone who will love us if we would just first love him. If we would somehow just start loving him and being nice to him, then he'll be nice to us and love us in response. That's never the way he's presented in Scripture. It's always the opposite. God is always the initiator. God always goes after us. God is always demonstrating his love towards us. And listen to this, Romans 5, verse 8. God demonstrated his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's how much God pursues us. He doesn't wait. Aren't you you glad that God didn't wait for you to get your act together before he started loving you? God doesn't wait for us to somehow get ourselves together, get our act together, clean our act up, and then maybe we'll be presentable, and then maybe God will love us. Do you know how many people think that? They think, I just, I need to get myself right first somehow, and then God will accept me and love me and receive me. No, 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 no. Romans 5, 8. God demonstrated, showed his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still messed up, broken down people, God says, I love you. Have you seen those commercials on TV? Man, they, they tug at the heartstrings. Those commercials about abandoned dogs. Oh, I got to turn the channel. I mean, you know, and they want you to, you know, contribute or to rescue a dog. And for those of you who contributed rescue animals, that's wonderful. I'm just talking about that the commercial itself is like so, it's gut wrench. And then they play that music too that's, ah, oh, like, you know, and you're just like, ah, oh, and it's snowing and the dog's shivering, okay? That's how I see myself. It's like I'm the leftover puppy nobody wanted at the pound, and God said, I'll take you. That's the way he reaches out for us. It's not because we present ourselves as so lovely. God just loves us with this unconditional, undeserved love, and he pursues us. He's the initiator, and we're the responder to his love. Some of you, though, will struggle with this. You say, well, Pastor G, you don't know the kind of things I've done. And I don't really think that God can love me because of some of the things I've done. Okay, look, is God grieved when we sin against him? Of course he is. He's grieved when we sin against him. But he does not stop loving us. Are you grieved when you're, if you're a parent? Are you grieved when your kids disobey you? Of course you are. But you do not stop loving them. Now, there's a whole other topic about God's love expressed in discipline, and that's a whole another Bible study, and he certainly will do that to express his love to us because he's never content to leave us the way we are. But you know that expression, we can hate the sin but love the sinner. God is grieved over our sin. When we disobey him, he's brokenhearted about it, but he still loves us just not our sin. In fact, Romans 2 verse 4 says it is his kindness that leads us to repentance. It's like God loves us so much that even while we were sinners, Christ died for us. And then how does he win us? 
by his kindness. It is his kindness that leads us to repentance. It is his mercy, chesed. It is God's loving, undeserved mercy that he still dispenses to us to move us to the place where we are convicted about our sins so that we might respond in a right relationship with him. So God loves us despite our sin, and he loves us to bring conviction about our sin so that we might come to a right relationship with him. You can't get so far away from God's love based on whatever pit you have fallen into, even by your own choosing. I mean, yes, I would encourage you, turn from your sin, repent, run to the loving arms of your Father. But our mistakes and sins and past do not somehow create a barrier to God's love. He does not like what we choose to do in disobedience to Him, but He still loves us. Betsy Ten Boom, the sister of Corey Ten Boom, Betsy Ten Boom, before she died at Ravensbrück Nazi prison camp, said this, There is no pit so deep that God's love is not deeper still. There is no pit so deep that God's love is not deeper still. God's love is a drawing love. Number two, God's love is a dependable love. Go to chapter 2 here in Song of Solomon. Look at chapter 2, verse 4. In chapter 2, verse 4, it says, He has taken me to the banquet hall, and his banner over me is love. He has taken me to the banquet hall, and his banner over me is love. Now, show of hands, how many of you remember, if you grew up in church and you were in Sunday school, how many of you remember singing that as a Sunday school song? He leads me to the banqueting table, his banner over me is love. Remember that? I'm not sure if I have the motions down right. Are those the right motions? I think they are. And I remember singing that as a kid. I think actually, by the way, um, Vineyard or Bethel, they've made it a popular worship song again. But back in the day, we sang it in Sunday school, probably still do. And I'll be honest with you, I'm singing it. I'm going through the hand motions, okay? Going through the hand motions. I had no idea what I was singing. <laughs> Let alone that it came from Song of Solomon chapter 2, verse 4. Okay, you didn't either, so don't judge me. You didn't sit there as a six-year-old going, oh, this is Solomon 2, verse 4. Yes, it is. You didn't know. <laughs> like a lot of those Sunday school songs. I was just into all the hand motions. I had no idea. Remember the song? Deep and wide, deep and wide. There's a fountain flowing deep and wide. I'm just trying to keep up with them. I don't even, where are we going with this? I, I had no idea what fountain they're talking about. So, now that you read this verse, you know that's where that song came from. But what does it mean? He leads me to his banqueting table and his banner over me is love. Well, a banner, a banner is a flag or a military standard that identifies the unit to which you belong. So in biblical times, and still today, there, there are flags, there are standards for military units. But, but specifically speaking, in biblical times, there was a standard, there was a flag, you would rally to that flag. That's the unit you belong to. And there's a sense of pride to that too, is there not? Those of you in the military, you should be proud of the unit that you belong to. And how many people in the military introduce themselves if you get just a little bit deeper in their military career and they'll say things to you like 82nd Airborne Division? Why? Because they're proud of that. 
And there's a military insignia. There's an emblem that goes with that. Well, there's a patch that goes with that. And there's some sense of pride to that. Because you're saying, I belong to that. This is what she's saying in that language. It's poetic in terms of her love relationship with Solomon. But allegorically, what she's saying, and then I'll translate allegorically. She's saying, Solomon's love is so real, so public, so genuine, that it's as if he's put a standard over me that says, I belong to him and he belongs to me. He's waving the banner. He's waving the flag with the insignia that says, I love this girl. I'm devoted to her. My love is dependable. And she's in response saying, and mine is to him as well. So in an allegorical sense, this is what God does for us. He waves the banner over us and he says, you belong to me. I love you with an everlasting love. You can depend on my love. It's not here today and gone tomorrow. God's love is dependable, and he waves the banner, the standard that says, you belong to me. And we in response say, Lord, and I belong to you. It is his expression, his unashamed, proud, openly displaying his love over us as the standard that we belong to him. God has raised a banner over you, and he declares his love for you that says, in effect... You belong to me, and I love you with an everlasting love. Psalm 136, verse 1 says, Give thanks to the Lord, for his love endures forever. In Isaiah 54, 10, it says, Though the mountains be shaken and the hills be removed, yet my unfailing love for you will not be shaken, nor my covenant of peace be removed, says the Lord, who has compassion on you. God's love is a dependable love. It's like the worship song that came out a few years ago that we've sung here at different times. Your love never fails. It never gives up. It never runs out on me. On and on and on and on it goes. Yes, it overwhelms and satisfies my soul, and I never, ever have to be afraid because this one thing remains. Your love never fails. It never gives up. It never runs out on me. How many of you are thankful that God's love never runs out on you? Amen. His love is a drawing love. His love is a dependable love. Number three, his love is a devoted love. Go to chapter 6 there in your Bibles. Chapter 6. And verse 3, this is actually the second stanza to that banquet hall banner over me is love song. In chapter 6, verse 3, it says, I am my lover's and my lover is mine. I am my lover's and my lover is mine. There is this sense of permanence and devotion in God's love. I am yours and you are mine. God's not going anywhere. A sense of permanence in his love. This verse here, chapter 6, verse 3, I am my lover's and my lover is mine. This verse would partly be the inspiration behind the 1873 hymn, Blessed Assurance, written by Fanny Crosby. I am my lover's and my lover is mine. Blessed Assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Heir of salvation, Purchase of God, born of his spirit, washed in his blood. This is my story. This is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long. I am his. He is mine. 
It speaks about this devoted love. And Paul would write in Romans 8, 38 to 39, he says, I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing, nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Why? Because his love is a devoted love. And lastly, number four, his love is a dying love. You go to chapter 8, chapter 8 in your Bibles, look at verse 6. Now, we talked about this verse as part of the literal love story between a husband and a wife, but now I want you to read it with me as the allegory of God's love for us. Chapter 8, verse 6. Place me like a seal over your heart, like a seal on your arm, for love is as strong as death. Underline that. For love is as strong as death. It's jealousy unyielding as the grave. It burns like blazing fire, like a mighty flame. Notice again, for your love is as strong as death. The greatest expression of love that a person could ever display for another is to offer their life for the sake of that other person. The giving of oneself is the highest form of love. Jesus even said it in John 15, verse 13. No greater love has this than a man laid down his life for his friends. That's what Jesus did for you and me. That is the supreme expression of his love for us. He didn't just talk about it. didn't just say it. He demonstrated it by dying on a cross. God is perfect. We are flawed. God is righteous. We are sinful. And sin must be judged. Sin must be punished. If God did not punish our sin, then he would not be a just and holy God. He just can't wink at sin and pretend it's not there. Otherwise, he wouldn't be true, just, and holy. So our sin must be punished. But this is the demonstration of his love for us. Because God basically says, this is what the Bible teaches, that we are destined for judgment. All of us deserve hell. All of us. The Bible says there's not one righteous, no, not one. And knowing this, God says, but I love you too much that I don't want any to perish. I don't want any to go to hell. So I will make a way for you through the sacrifice of my son that you can pass from death to life, that you can experience forgiveness. So what God decides is, I'll send my one and only son, and then your sin and my sin will be placed on him. Your punishment, my punishment that we deserve will be placed on him. Our failures, our shame, and our guilt will all be placed on Jesus. And then God says, if you simply would believe in what my son Jesus did for you on the cross... You can have all your sins forgiven, all your shame, all your guilt, all covered by the blood of my son, Jesus. And I will forgive you and receive you into my eternal reward in heaven when you die. It's a free gift. Now listen, this is what John three sixteen is all about. For God so loved the world. His, un, his, his undeserved love for us. God so loved the world 
that he gave his only begotten son, his one and only son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, shall not suffer the consequences of our sin, because it's been placed on Jesus, but shall have eternal life. This is the full expression of God's love. It's his dying love. He says, I'll die for you. That's how much I love you. You are worth dying for. That's how much I love you. And Jesus goes to the cross for our sins. 1 John 3.16 also says, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. His dying love. In 1859, there was a popular Presbyterian preacher by the name of James Henley Thornwell. And Pastor Thornwell had a daughter whose name was Nancy, and she was about to get married. And it was a great, joyous occasion, like weddings are. Her dad, Pastor Thornwell, was going to perform the ceremony. But it's 1859, so you have to start to get word out to all of your friends and family scattered abroad and around the country, which he did, announcing the soon marriage ceremony of his daughter, Nancy. Well, in 1859, it takes a long time for word to travel, and by the time people got the invitation, they started traveling to get there for the celebration of the wedding. But Nancy Thornwell developed typhoid between when the invitations were sent and when the ceremony was supposed to happen. And it caused her rapid decline. And her father was weeping over her sickbed. And Nancy Thornwell said, Father, do not weep. I know my Savior. She's like, I know where I'm going. Don't weep. And he said, but this was to be your wedding, your whole life now before you. And she said with great maturity, Father, but now I go to a greater groom that I am prepared to meet. And Nancy Witherspoon Thornwell was laid to rest in her wedding gown. And the tombstone reads, as a bride prepared for her groom. Do you know the love of Christ like that? His drawing love, his dependable love, his devoted love, his dying love. Paul prayed a prayer for the church of Ephesus in Ephesians chapter 3 that I'm going to pray over us because apparently we're not the only ones who sometimes have a hard time grasping the love of God and receiving the love of God. This is what he wrote in Ephesians 3, 17 to 19. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. May God fill us up with the measure of His fullness, that we would know and receive the love of Christ. Amen. Your 
Song of Solomon is quite unique among the other books of the Bible. It's a vivacious poem exploring God's intentions for the relationship between a husband and wife, both before and during their marriage. Song of Solomon is very frank in its descriptions, yet reveals a union that's beautiful, emotional, and passionate. This book also tells us that God desires a deeply connected union with His bride, the Church. He loves us more purely and perfectly than any relationship we'd ever find on earth. God's love for you caused Him to send His Son to earth to take away your sin, dying on the cross in your place. All you need to do is accept the grace He offers and begin a new life of love and devotion to God. Are you ready to take that step, or do you have any questions? We'd be happy to talk with you. Give us a call at 703-771-1500. Pastor Gary has also created a short video explaining what salvation is and why every person needs it. Visit cornerstoneconnection.cc and click on How to Get to Heaven under the Grow tab to find it. We're so glad you tuned in today. Join us next time for more from this verse-by-verse study of the Song of Solomon, right here on Cornerstone Connection. They say you're a wandering soul That you've got no place to go But still you know